Hi, I'm Clement Liu, and welcome to the third season of Just Sustainability. We ended the previous episode with Liz Thompson telling me about the intersection between disability and equity. They spoke about the sorts of disparities related to income, access to employment, access to healthcare, access to food, and access to the political process that are often experienced by disabled folks. To begin this episode, we're going to start with a follow-up question that I asked Liz about how to build spaces that are more generally accessible and empowering. My question led them to tell me about some of the strategies that they use to implement universal design principles in creating counter and home spaces and hosting virtual programming. This conversation was recorded in early summer of 2022, so most events were still either virtual or hybrid of virtual and in-person at that point. I think it, it, it's certainly the case that like these are always works in progress, and that uh, you shouldn't feel like right, your answers should should people should be interpreting it as like like the only way to do things. But um, right, so you spoke a lot about like thinking about like how to like build more space, build more flexibility, give more time, uh, think of people more as sort of ends in themselves rather than like means for production. Um, and then you talked about trying to implement it in your own practice with you know, working with supervisors and supervisees and just thinking about like when you're programming and, you know, kind of creating, uh, right for your, your work to, to do those things. Can, what are some of the, the ways that you try to do this? Like what, like for someone who's thinking about this, maybe, you know, for the first time or like kind of early in their thoughts about it and they're trying to like make space, they're trying to be more flexible. They're trying to be, Right, like essentializing folks to like what they produce and like giving, you know, right, mm-hmm. folks more room to like to do the things they need to do. How how do you think about that? Like what are some of the strategies you use to make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, you're working towards that? I think definitely one of the things that I try and just remind myself, like, no matter like so when thinking about program, I just assume there's going to be underrepresented people there. Okay. And then that includes disabled people. And, um, and so not only the physical space, but then also thinking about just, you know, what am, what am I trying to, to educate folks on? And like, especially with, you know, our co-curricular programming, you never know who's going to come. And I think actually one of the really great things about co-curricular programming is that a physics major could come and an English major could come. Right. And so in some ways we are, you know, we're not bounded by, by these different academic disciplines. Right. And, um, which is really cool. It also has its challenges, but, um, right. I think it is, I think it's, it's cooler than challenging. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so I definitely think about the physical space and then I think about okay, what are we what am I trying to to educate folks on and then how am I doing it? So right. also with diversity of 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 getting that educational thing um concept through. So um mm-hmm. something visual, you know, also something verbal, maybe something also something written like a handout um mm-hmm. i know i'm a really visual learner but i also get a lot from from hearing it or from reading it so in a mm-hmm. in a 
more accessible way, um, you know, we would want something that has closed captions, also verbally, and then also um, like written down. Um, okay. You know, so I think that that's like, I mean, that's diversity, like diversity of what do you call it, kind of um, execution or um, whatnot. Um, uh, I mean, I think, yeah, just like being conscientious uh, about the fact that people might want to interact with what you're doing mm-hmm. in multiple ways and just attending to that and being thoughtful about that. I think that is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it definitely takes more work. Um, uh, the heater is clicking. It takes more work, but also it is way more, it is way, it is less work if you think of it on the front end. So mm. that's also, I think, a really big thing around being accessible um, with the disability community is that the more you can can be proactive and on the front end, um, mm-hmm. the less work and the less expensive it will be than later. Um, right. So um, also, I and I have definitely have not been as great lately about it, but like, so even having a program... And if we could always have like kind of a general note taker or like a summarizer. Right. And so that could help for people who aren't able to be there, but they just still want to get like, you know, the idea about it or who talked and things like that. Right. Um, in like a really like small nuggety kind of way. Um, I actually think with, you know, from, what we with the pandemic and now we're you know in this next kind of stage and of also continued mm-hmm. hybrid um so in person as well as having the zoom option mm-hmm. like i really don't think that that's gonna go away and i think that that's a good thing um i mean yes mm-hmm. i know you know also technology access um also can be a barrier for some um but um yeah, I think, and then having it be like really hybrid of like in person and then more interactive mm-hmm. is also challenging. But I think for a lot of the programs, it could be still more just like that kind of, you know, one way kind of thing. Um, so that at right. least you, you, um, you know, you get to, to hear or see the experience. So, yeah, so I think right. that that has been huge. Um, so I think we're a lot better set up for that. Um, and then I think other, you know, I mean, there's some, I mean, I know like just like in general with presentations, um, Mm -hmm. right. Like, I mean, even if you don't think you have someone who is deaf or hard of hearing, um, you know, now also with, either Google or also even zoom when no one's on zoom, mm-hmm. like you could have auto captions on, mm-hmm. um, or you could always, if you didn't provide people with a script or you don't have a script and you're presenting, you could always, you know, spell people's names. So if you're saying names, you could spell them. Right. Um, you know, how do you spell Anne? Right. <laughs> Is it with an E without an E? You know, I mean, even as a, you know, more traditionally, English names, you could still get it wrong. Right. 
So again, that's, that's helpful for people who are also, you know, where English is not their first language too. So yeah, I think there's just like some little things and, um, you know, describing images always. And I mm. think, you know, I, I've been in the past few years really um, not part of my dissertation, but a very strong interest in the skill and art and practice of uh, audio description and, and writing descriptive texts, um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot because, you know, I've done photography like for since I was a kid. Right. And one, I didn't realize I was being you know, I, I was excluding people. So that was, you know, the first thing I'm like, why would I want to exclude people to, to, you know, see or understand my work in photography. Right. And then two with, um, writing a description of an image, um, or a play or a movie. Um, it does make you look closer. It makes me look closer. It makes me rewrite what I'm, what I describe like a few times, probably three or four times. Mm -hmm. And, um, it makes me just like look closer. I'm like, okay, like, you know, this is a chair, then what kind of chair? And then, you know, if I keep on, I also could then like maybe can see patterns too. And so even with the photography, there was a time when I think I was realizing that, you know, kind of like, am I always taking photos of like white men? <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, as I was, and then I was describing them as like, right, right. Hmm, you know, what's, what's that about? And, you know, and so, um, huh. yeah. So it just also kind of reminded me of some artists like, oh, I forget his name, but he's African-American male artists more in like contemporary art. And he, yeah, like somewhere in the past, like 10 years, um, like he said something like, I'm not painting white people anymore. <laughs> right yeah no i mean that's an interesting thing right like i think what you're saying about like how how being more conscientious about writing descriptions helped you think about your own photography and how what you were missing what you were you know like what you were focusing on i mean i i, I think this is a, that's an interesting sort of idea right this idea that just being conscientious about being inclusive of everybody thinking about what are the factors that might be excluding folks i think just doing that just having that mindset would help one kind of more critically examine one's own sort of practice and think about like how the ways that one is naturally inclined to do things, mm -hmm. how, how is it exclusive? Right. Just, I think just attending to the, the full diversity of folks and the full diversity of ways that folks might want to, or might need to interact with like the things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And I know, I mean, I think, you know, the two kind of terms around, that might connect, you know, with, um, I think in the social sciences is mm -hmm. positionality and then also reflexivity. Mm -hmm. And so positionality, you know, kind of similar, um, to how you asked, you know, about, you know, who is Liz Thompson and, mm -hmm. and, um, and so in, in, in many social science articles, you know, they will have all the authors or researchers will have, um, a paragraph with positionality and some are longer than others, mm -hmm. but you know, how I understand positionality is that it really, it really does, you know, from the researcher or the author, it, um, overtly, you talk about your different identities. Um, mm -hmm. and then in research, you know, really then in, um, in the context of what you're researching. And so if you're 
a straight white woman researching, you know, black women working at a laundromat. Um, mm. Like, there could be a lot there, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right? Like, um, you, I think, you know, so I think about power and privilege, um, also just one's own experiences. And then, and so then that's where then that the next term of reflexivity comes in is that, you know, so then as you're doing the research or as you're writing, um, yeah, always reflecting, reflecting, reflecting. Um, and um, how how is my background and experiences, um, you know, affecting or making an impact on what, how I'm interpreting, you know, what I think I, what I think I'm seeing, what I think I'm understanding. Um, mm-hmm. we then also another part to that, um, around like kind of, you know, like trustworthiness and credibility with, with data is then having some trusted people, uh, some other trusted people to, to kind of bounce your ideas off of. And um, I was fortunately able to do that also in my um, PhD work. I, you know, I did that with three other people, um, some people twice um, of just like, Hey, you know, this is what, after I collected the data, this is what I'm seeing. And, you know, these are kind of the themes, like, Mm -hmm. do they make sense Um, from a, you know, I wouldn't say non-objective, but or objective point of view, but just a different point of view, right? Um, than mine, and so I think that that was also really helpful. This leads me to sort of a tangential question, uh, which actually I guess refers back to something you said earlier. So, like a while ago when we were chatting, you mentioned uh, right uh, one of the the barriers or like one of the things that work against many disabled folks is the failure to recognize disabled folks as having political power or being a voting block mm-hmm. or like right like the marginalization from like public discourse because fo- right mm-hmm. because folks get erased or or you know like ignored um and i and i think this is sort of universally an issue when it comes to equity right so like i think uh right like I mean, from my background with environmental justice, right? That was one of the things that from the beginning of the movement folks have been working on, right? Is to, uh, to, to demonstrate that, right? Marginalized folks should be involved in discourse to, to rethink systems to, so that like, uh, marginalized folks can better participate in like collective decision making or like public discourse mm-hmm. or like, uh, right, influencing governance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, and I think, that ties into what you just said right now about like having people to bounce off of uh, uh, that, like the strength and the power that comes from like having multiple perspectives, examine the same thing to, to, to write so that you're better able to see the things that you're missing or be- better able to notice mm-hmm. the things that you're missing because of like kind of the, right. The, the limits and edges of your own perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this leads me to like want to ask you a question about, community and to ask you about something that that i know we've been talking about like kind of offline mm-hmm. bit uh about counter spaces right so like i think uh you introduced me to the idea of counter spaces and i think counter spaces are something that's like in your work and so i think counter spaces are a way of thinking uh, right for those of us who are working institutions and trying to like broaden discourse and try to like better engage one another to think about these things uh is a right an idea that might facilitate that so like can i ask you like could you like 
tell us a little bit about what counter spaces are and then like you know and then maybe move on to think about like right like how counter spaces might work into some of the things that we've been talking about so far yeah yeah i um yeah the counter space um idea was part of my conceptual framework for the dissertation mm-hmm. and um and so I just want to, um, yeah, bring in um, some folks who have had a lot more research in around counter space. So there's um, Solarzano um, from 2000 and Yoso and Lopez from 2010, and then also Case and Hunter from 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, most of what I read around counter spaces so far have been more around um, counter spaces within um, marginalized and underrepresented uh, race and ethnic groups. Okay. And also women. So women in STEM and then also just in general, then race, ethnicity in predominantly white spaces. Okay. Um, So, but I think it, you know, I guess what I, was trying to extend that to was, was disability. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things that the, those folks talk about is how um, students who are coping with oppression and marginalization Mm -hmm. is that they find and or create counter spaces, which then challenges the oppressive narrative um, and, and space. And so also a little bit differently than just, you know, and I, I don't mean to at all diminish it, but then just a community space, right. but some nuance to community space and a counter space is that then um, counter space really recognizes that oppressiveness right. and, and resists it. And they, it's a community, it's like a community, community space plus. And right. so it would be like, <laughs> It's a community space, gathering space, yeah. and also recognizing and wanting to challenge ableism. Yes. And so that's where I I connected or tried to connect then um, the the disability cultural centers and higher education right. um, as counter spaces. Um, because from some informal student newspaper articles around students, disabled students and their allies and faculty and staff, um, you know, mm-hmm. advocating and supporting a disability cultural center. Mm-hmm. They talk about, yes, they want community. They want to be able to gather. They want accessibility, you know, in, in furniture and, and lighting and scent free environments. Mm-hmm. And they want to, um, you know, they want less ableism, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. so I don't think that's, that's too much to ask for. No. Um, and that they just are so surrounded in all different parts of their life and on campus that then it's like, they want this disability cultural center space so that they don't have, they, that there's less needing of resistance and that there's less needing to, find out where the accessible restroom is in a building. Like yeah. it's just, it's just already there because they as disabled people and all their different intersecting identities have already been considered. Right. Again, it might not be a hundred percent perfect and accessible. And I think everyone I'm sure would, would, would acknowledge that. Right. 
but it's also way better than most spaces on campus. Right. Um, so yeah, so I really like that idea. Um, I've also been thinking, you know, with counter spaces, it is, you know, I know, I mean, I, I'm just, I, I, I get really excited and just, you know, it just makes me really happy and, and, you know, around student activism. Um, mm -hmm. I also know it's really hard and tiring, you know, like it's, oh. it's hard to maintain that confrontational, um, as I kind of, you know, put my hands together, like in a fist, like right, right. it's really, it's exhausting and fatiguing right. to always be, you know, what we're against and, and instead of like, what are we as for? well as what we're for. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I think at least right now with disability cultural centers, at least from what I've read, you know, it is more of that kind of counter space. Right. Um, the other, you know, another concept kind of on the flip side of the coin, similar but different, which I've also tried to do some workshops on, um, is then, you know, the late feminist and prolific author, um, Bell Hooks. Mm -hmm. And her idea then of home place mm -hmm. and home place um, has some similar ideas. You know, it's this safe space where then, you know, predominantly um, I think, you know, as she described it, you know, like black women could, could be in safety together and be in community and, and be, you know, temporarily shielded from mm -hmm. racism, sexism. And um, so I like that other side as well because one it's it is a lot more loving right. <laughs> it's it's a lot more you know you just, it's it's like chocolate chip cookies it's you know it's coffee or tea it's right you know i mean again like home however home is for you but um it's not as i think it's still it's definitely still addressing and challenging um the oppressiveness yeah as well as then I think not always having to be like on edge right. and like be in like fight mode. Um, so I, I put that a little bit in the dissertation, but I definitely did more around still the, the fighting part of yeah. the, of the counter space. Well, I mean, right. There's something to be said about right the, the joy of the marginalized as being subversive, right. To the, the status quo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, so I mean, it's interesting, right? Like needing this, to have this balance of like counter spaces and home spaces, right? Spaces where they're actively resisting the, the status quo through resistance. And then mm -hmm. like spaces where you're passively resisting the status quo by creating mm -hmm. comfort and joy despite, yeah. uh, uh, right, marginalization and oppression. So it's, yeah, it's interesting to like, right, that there's those two elements that, right, like, we need both and we need to like think about like making space for both. Yeah. 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 And I know, I mean, there's also, I think been some conversation of which, you know, again, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a yes or no or a right or wrong. I mean, I think right. there's a lot of gray, but just like, you know, yeah. I mean, just having a black indigenous person, student of color on a predominantly white campus and just having them, at the very minimum, which I think is still sad, but just is is just to survive, right? To get through and to graduate, that's huge, right? You know, I mean that that is definitely something. Um, do I wish more for that person? Absolutely, and it's not on that person to change; it's on the institution to change, right? So I want I want our institution, our program, 
to, you know, to find out how that person um, can not just survive, but really thrive. I want Mm -hmm. them to, them to have the choice when they want to um, have, you know, representation and, and, and their voices heard and and stuff like that. Like it just, it shouldn't be. um, Yeah. I mean, it just should be, it should just be more embedded in the institution. And I know, you know, definitely some students are talking about it of like, right. I mean, we, um, with, 30%, 30%, you know, here at Morris, mm-hmm. uh, Native and Amer- American and Indigenous. And then right now, another 10% of students of color, Black, Latinx, and Asian American Pacific mm-hmm. Islander. And then another small percent of international. Mm-hmm. Um, 17% um, are registered with the Disability Resource Center, which then we know, I'm sure there's another few percent that are not registered. Yeah. Um, and and then students who are undocumented, first-gen lower socioeconomic status. Um, so, I mean, with all those percentages, like, you know, all together, different things, um, you know, and then you compare that of what, you know, faculty staff look like, you know, student leadership looks like, right. um, you know, there's definitely some discrepancies. Right. Right. It, um, it, yeah. It doesn't, it, it, yeah. No. Yeah. 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 And I just, I hope, um, also, too, yeah, I mean, I think also a little bit going back, you know, when you talked about, of you know, connecting, and I think with when we were talking about connecting with communities, and so it also makes me think of, of right, like the, um, I forget the phrase, but it's like basically like the having the leadership be of the most impacted. And so if we think about a change in policy or a new policy, you know, thinking, okay, who is this most going to impact? Right. And then whoever that is, or those folks are, um, they have to be at the table. Um, they can't be an afterthought. They can't be, okay, we'll talk to them a month later while we're, you know, finally putting the, the dotting our I's and crossing our T's. Yeah. Like you have to be, in the conversation, if not leading yeah. from the very beginning. Um, and then also um, one of my committee members, he wrote a book um, called uh, Jim Tarleton, uh, Nothing About Us Without Us, mm-hmm. um, which was then he cites from uh, an African um, disability advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, and, and now I've heard even uh, another modification to that is just nothing without us yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. i mean i think to be fair right if we if we're trying to right if we really think of ourselves as a society that is an open society where everybody has a place right like everything is about everybody and so uh the the folks who are marginalized should be centered mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean and just we know it 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 works for when we do that, like, yes, it, it raises the marginalized oppressed folks too up. And it also like, it just, it just seems like still there's this fear of the more privilege and, and folks with some kind of traditional power mm-hmm. that like, they're going to miss out. <laughs> like they're going to, you know, okay. And yes, you know, like maybe they might have some different 
less power in some ways, but, you know, but typically what is, what is good and beneficial for marginalized folks, it actually just raises you up also. (laughs) So, but I think there is, I mean, I think there is, you know, I think there is that fear that I'm not going to get something that I deserve. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would ask, what do you think you deserve? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, uh, I guess a related question would be like, what do you think are some sort of strategies that institutions can take or folks working at institutions and trying to shift those institutions might take to try to change the ways that we do things to better make space, right? To make home spaces, to make counter spaces, to center uh, Mm -hmm. folks that have been marginalized to, right? Like to... To make this the sort of changes so that right that that we we actually are having that we are creating spaces that are are spaces that like everyone is accessing like that right to have mm-hmm. right more universal spaces. Yeah, um, I think I mean one of the first things that comes to mind, which you know, in different at least in higher ed, and then also I, I also for sure in in more kind of corporate America. Mm-hmm. It's not anything new and also it's not anything new and it I'm sure it still could improve, but um, you know, affinity groups, employee resource groups, um where it is around an identity, mm-hmm. I think, are really are really helpful and important. Um that's not saying that, you know, everyone with that identity will participate, but I think there should be that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, available and it also you know for folks who then you know um that are not of that identity or identities um that they also need they need to understand um and this is where um of just like recognizing your own power and privileges they like they need to understand that these groups are you know it's not it's not um uh, it's not a negative thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I think, again, I think it kind of goes back to that, you know, maybe for some people like that fear of like, Oh, you know, what are they talking about? Or like, why do they need their own group mm-hmm. or, you know? Um, and so I think that like, as we have hopefully continued these kind of groups and spaces, you know, I do think that I'll just say it, you know, the, the more privileged white straight, able-bodied man mm-hmm. um of higher income um i think they do need um also uh space and 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 a group where they can also you know think about their whiteness and think about their their you know maybe their different um privileged identities mm-hmm. um and with some education and awareness and and consciousness um yeah. Uh, yeah. So I definitely like, I like those. Um, I also really appreciate it um, when also different identity and cultural groups also um, see similarities and, um, you know, are in solidarity to each other mm-hmm. um, and, and support each other and, um, because just we just we know like so many different oppressions and and social 
things um, affect, you know, more than one group. So like, yes, we need to, in these different groups, you know, you might want to focus on a few things, but also, um, also to really make time and space in a very intentional way. So like, I always, I thought like, you know, in a student org or in, even in our, you know, staff office, like, um, and I think sometimes we do this naturally and sometimes I think it though sometimes has to be more like intentional where like, but like why, like, you know, a community liaison, you know, within a student org and, um, that they, you know, they go to, they go to, um, the, black student group. And then they also, as part of their officer roles and tasks, they also go to the, you know, to the Asian American student group. Um, And so that there's always this like connection because, you know, again, like informally, I think things like that happen Mm -hmm. um, just because of friends or relationships or whatever. But, um, but just to have it a little bit more, you know, intentional and structurally. So it always happens. Mm-hmm. I think would would be super cool. Um, yeah. Well, no, that's an interesting idea, right? Like that. Uh, I think people need spaces where there's common understanding, right? Where people share your experiences and they also need spaces and opportunities where they can share their opportunities with people who, who have different experiences, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think we need both, right? We need the affirmation of, of folks who, have similar perspectives to us in life and right i think as a collective if we are to have healthy sort of institutions and healthy communities we need to be able to share across differences in perspective Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and 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 also just all of us you know like really acknowledging too like i mean you know of of when we when we have been racist and when we have been ableist and when we have been sexist Mm -hmm. you know like like we need our different groups also need need to to own that and learn from it and apologize and move on and and also really you know change our behaviors in that um and uh yeah recently there was um you know i saw like a little video and and i heard a little bit about some of um like deaf history Mm -hmm especially with like the creation of like different state deaf schools and, you know, Gallaudet university. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, you know, it like, it made me think of like, you know, thinking about, you know, as like with boarding schools and cultural genocide and, you know, not being able to learn and practice language. Mm-hmm. Like wouldn't that be a really, you know, that could be a really, you know, meaningful program um, around just like showing these different histories mm-hmm. Um, and putting them in, you know, conversation and dialogue together of like, hey, like, you know, this is when, um, you know, some different Native American languages were were um, banned. Mm-hmm. And this is also when, um, you know, people did not teach sign language, American sign language. And it was right. more, you know, um, just about, you know, audio um, and 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 not really not being able to learn sign and right. and autism. So I was like, you know, wouldn't that and then I'm sure there's also um probably something else too with some other, you know, other languages as well. Like but that I mean I just like imagine such a really great, rich, mm-hmm. diverse 
audience mm-hmm. um, or something like that around just, I guess, just in general, like language oppression, I guess. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd be an interesting conversation, right? I think having spaces to have those conversations is important, right? Or having spaces where you can better recognize that those conversations are out there to be had. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, our chat began to wind down. So as I usually do, I turned the reins of the conversation over to Liz. They took this opportunity to talk about interdependence, mutual support, and community. Here's that discussion. You know, I mean, we've definitely talked some around like mental health and then also just mm-hmm. like fatigue and, you know, I just, I would want, I want folks and I want, you know, myself as well to, to be like, Mm -hmm. figure out how we can like really have this, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion and intercultural education work Mm -hmm. um, to be like for everyone just to feel like really vital Mm -hmm. and like necessary and like, um, consistent and integrated Mm -hmm. and um, truly a shared responsibility that like, you know, I cannot be in And I'm sure this is paraphrasing some other really famous person, but like, (laughs) like I cannot be successful unless you're successful. Like I can't be happy unless you're happy and healthy. Um, and, you know, I know in disability, one of the values is interdependence, which I've also learned, you know, is also um, a Native American value mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, we are that myth of independence um, that we we can and should do things independently and by ourselves. And um, but, yeah, I just there's, you know. That's just so, <laughs> that's just yeah, so yeah. bunk, you know? I mean, when are you truly ever independent? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I've come to really, especially in the past 20 years, like I, I really think that and approach people and groups and organizations that way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my, I think my close friend group and, and definitely the people I work with now and, and earlier, I think also that way too, but I don't, I don't know if that's really how most of the other world works. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that's when sometimes it can be really frustrating and depressing and you feel alone and you feel like, you know, things are never going to change. Um, and that's when you also then need to <laughs> go back to your support <laughs> group and just, you know, be reminded that you are not alone. Things are changing. You are making a difference. You are having an impact. Um, and mostly I I get re-energized or get rejuvenated mm-hmm. um, when I am in more community, especially with younger, um, young adults who are Black, Indigenous, people of color, disabled, and queer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it. Uh, I... <laughs> I might only have another 30 or 40 years <laughs> of my life, right. um, you know, if that. And uh, and so, you know, I've got some younger nieces and nephews that are teenagers or in their 20s. And yeah. I'm really excited for them. Um, and I, you know, as well as some of their friends that I know that are interested in, in other things and social 
issues. And I think that that's also why I, you know, really like working in, in the, the higher ed level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, I know it's, it's a privilege, you know, not everyone can go to, to university or college or they want to go to university or college. Um, so it also makes me think of other spaces that, um, right. Like how we can also continue and support folks, um, mm-hmm. in a, in a non, so like not so privileged space like higher ed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, not even just, you know, community colleges, um, which are a lot more, you know, financially accessible and also so diverse as well mm-hmm. um, due to that. And often but, more attentive to like, right. To, to the needs of a, a broader range of students. Yeah. 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 But like, I got a question, you know, someone on a presentation also around disability cultural centers and they mm-hmm. said, you know, the question was like, do you know of any disability cultural centers at the community college level? Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know, I haven't seen anything, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it's so just, but it just makes me, you know, I've never worked at a community college, mm-hmm. but it just, it still reminds me of like, they're typically even more under-resourced than some state schools or whatnot. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you, if you want diversity, like you should be at a community college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, well, yeah, we yeah. should, I mean, so yeah, I've long thought that like those of us who are in four-year institutions should be looking more at community colleges to learn about like, right, how how to be more equitable and inclusive and just because i think they're ahead of us by quite a bit Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so i guess i'll i I didn't there um yeah and and i know i'm also really i'm learning more i mean i i just really i credit you and some other folks too of like you know making me think and understand differently about sustainability Mm -hmm. um and how, you know, how equity and diversity and inclusion is, is really connected with sustainability. And so, um, I'm also, you know, as we, as we started in the beginning, like I'm really looking forward to my own, um, learning and understanding around sustainability and, and, and those like intersections and those cross things and, and, um, yeah, just like better kind of connecting the dots for for me too. Yeah, no, and certainly there's been a lot for me to think about that after this conversation, right? Like I think just right now, I think there's something that you said that really resonates with me, right? Like I think we there tends I think for like a lot of work about like challenging status quo, whether it be environmental or like equity oriented, right? When we're thinking about resisting uh the sort of the big trends that that are sort of bad, it does feel like lonely work and it does feel like onerous work but like i i think we need to appreciate right it is also opportunities to build community right around doing good work and there should be there should be a joyfulness about making the world better or working to make the world better that we need to also attend to right like uh it is challenging to like resist the status quo uh but we should feel good about ourselves doing it and we should build relationships and build communities and like build solidarity and find joy in that doing it as well. I think. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. We've reached the end of another episode of justice sustainability. In this episode, 
Liz Thompson taught us about universal design, as well as the mirroring ideas of counter and home spaces. We've also reached the end of another season, so please join us again in September for season four of Just Sustainability. I've already got a really cool bunch of conversations recorded that I'm super excited to share with you all. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening.